0: All right, how's everybody doing? Good, good, good. Um, can I, you care if I move that? Or you can move it. No, I need the stand, just your computer. I do. Everybody give it up for Riley, right? It's fantastic. <clears throat> but, serious, I mean, that was serious. In all seriousness, too, um, where are Sydney and Matthew? Sydney and Matthew, stand up real quick. And Macy is part of this team as well. Um, these two, plus Macy, lead all of what you see every single Sunday morning. Uh, nope, nope, yeah, I'm not done with y'all. I can stand back up. Um, they get here early, they stay after, they take care of all of these details so that we can come in and worship our King and not have to think about those things. So, Sydney, Macy, and Matthew, thank you guys so much for all that you guys do so we can worship. Now, where's the pipeline? If you're part of the pipeline, stand up. Now, Sydney, Matthew, and Macy volunteered. Um, These are our slaves, but they also are are forced to be here. But come and help set up every single Sunday. So, guys, thank you so much for that too. For all y'all do. Um, so let me just kind of set the pace for where we're going over the next four weeks, um, but before we dive in, I've just got to confess something really fast, because uh, as I was sitting in the back holding Auburn um, before, the Lord was just not let this go. So um, I know some people have asked about my foot and why I'm in a boot, and I joke that I want attention, and so here it is. Uh, um, but the truth of it is, I don't, I don't know all the details of it, just kind of think it's arthritic. Is that a word? Arthritic, yeah, okay. It yeah, makes me sound smart. I should have committed to that like arthritic. Um, but the, the reality is, uh, we went down to Atlanta, um, Friday night, we had some family members that got us a hotel so we could go see the parade on Saturday. And, um, by the course of the week, it was kind of getting worse and worse to the point where Friday didn't sleep much. Um, kind of had to crawl to the bathroom, which is just weird and had to sit out on the parade. I couldn't even go to the parade with my family. Uh, and if I could be honest, I was furious with the Lord. Um, I told him some things Friday night I would be embarrassed to ever admit. Um, Just, just angry. Just, I mean, just anger. And in the moment, I felt like it was righteous anger. It's not, but just angry. And so, a lot of yesterday was just a time of repentance for me. Um, He didn't deserve that. I was just mad. I was lashing out. I don't know why I'm crying. (laughs) It's Christmas time. Uh, And so even though I feel like him and I are good, um, he would not relent that I think some of us in this room are in that position. We're just really angry with God. And that's okay. That you just said things in your prayer time. And just rambling off to him that if you were to confess those things here, you would feel like you'd be so judged. But I'm telling you, you wouldn't. That, that our God can handle those conversations, that he can handle our honest and real emotions, and, and we can be real with our Father. But before we dive in, I want us to have a time of just repentance, if that is you. Man, we need to, we need to pray and repent that he is a good dad, he is a good father, that, that even though what we're going through seems real and it's just painful, and, and there's so many different stories and situations in this room, uh, but, but God is a God of hope. And so I'm just going to kind of leave us for a minute, let you kind of pray, get your heart right, and then I'll close this in prayer and we'll dive in this morning. But uh, it, it's okay. I want this church to know it's okay to have real honest conversations with God and um, to have snot run through your beard and uh, all that that entitles t- um, because our God can handle those conversations but he doesn't want us to stay there. He wants to move us into repentance and back into a relationship with him. So so let's just have a few moments just to pray. If that's you, man, just confess your sin. For all of us, confess our sin, and then we'll dive into the text this morning. And Father, we are we are grateful that we can be real and honest with you, and it doesn't change your affections for us. There's nothing we can say that would discount us as sons and daughters to you, Father. That your love for us knows no bounds. And for those of us that are in a season, or coming in, or walking out of a season, are just angry, and in in Uh, just rage and and we don't understand why you do the things that you do. God, would we give all that over to you this morning? Would we trust you? Would we place our hope in you? God, we can see the creation, we can see all that you've blessed us with, but in these small moments we decide to not see all that and to only look at our struggles and our temptations and our sins. And so, Father, we just pray this morning that that you would renew us, that you would give us the faith to believe, that you would deepen our relationship with you. And my father, also, you would, we would know that it's, it's okay. It's okay to be honest with you. It's okay to be vulnerable with you. We see this almost do it all the time. You know the innermost depths of our heart. You already know it. And it does not change the way you love us, which I can't comprehend. So God, it's by your grace that we pray to you, it's by your mercy that we can sing to you, it's uh, by your power that we're even here. So Father, we love you. Thanks for not giving up on us. Thanks for sanctifying us to make us more like you every single day, even though that process can look painful and hard sometimes. It's in your name we pray, amen. All right, now one more confession before we get started. Where's Christina? Where's Where's Christ? All right, I called Christina, her mom's name this morning, and I want to publicly repent for that too. All right, so as we're going into Advent, um, we're gonna spend the next four weeks going through. So if you have your Bibles, open with me to uh, Luke chapter one. Now granted, I know like we've been going through Luke for two and a half years, we're supposed to take a break from Luke, which we are. um, So the next four weeks we won't be in Luke per se, but we'll, we'll be reading from some of it this morning. So Luke chapter 1, um, and then if you have a finger, note card, something, go ahead and get to Romans 15, because we're going to spend a little bit of time in both of those. Uh, now, Christmas season is my jam. Anyone else? Like we are fully decorated, trees up, everything is good to go in our house. Am I the only one? I'm talking the day after Thanksgiving, we woke up at... to go get our tree before we had to go to another party. We passed the staples going to like, I know they're in the Bowers were there. Like we love Christmas. I'm not saying anything bad about Christmas. Christmas is awesome. And so this week we're going to start with this idea of Advent. And then the next two weeks, Ricky's going to come preach for us um, about peace and joy. And then the 23rd, Kyle from Milledgeville is going to be here to preach for us, closing out the Advent series on love. So, um, I know some of you student college students will already be home, but I encourage you to come back for that. Um, Kyle's a phenomenal communicator. This will be the first time he's been back since we sent him. Um, so make sure you put that in your calendar. Come back on the 23rd for that. Um, and then we will have a Christmas Eve service together um, when we get to celebrate the Christ candle. So it's just going to be an awesome season as we're going into it. But here's what I know. If, any, if anyone else is like me in this, does this season not just kind of get away from us if we're not careful? I mean, college students, how many finals you got coming in? Uh, If you're not a college student, you have a job, you got some end of the year projects that you've got to wrap up, you've got to finish, you've got to do all this tax evasion stuff so that you don't have to pay taxes to the government. Um, Jace Roper's laughing, I know what he's doing. So we've got all these things that we've got to finish up. And then we've got Christmas party after Christmas party after Christmas party. Uh, we've got Christmas movies to watch, Christmas cookies to bake, all these things which are good and right. I think we've already watched all of our Christmas favorite Christmas movies except for The Christmas Story, which is the greatest Christmas movie of all time. Uh, fight me if you want to, I've got a big boot, I could kick you hard. <laughs> Um, that is the greatest. Any any takers on that? The greatest Christmas movie of all time. Oh, you're fighting for me, bro. No. Elf. Yeah, okay. I can I can I can go there. Christmas fake. I can go there. Yeah. I mean, there's some great ones. Christmas story though is just. Top notch. So, anyways, as we're going to do this, my plea for you, and and Ricky's going to plea with you, and Kyle's going to plea with you over these next couple weeks, slow down. The whole purpose of the liturgical calendar of Advent is to slow down. This is the time of the season where we're running super fast, super hard, trying to finish everything, and then we're going to wake up December 26th, and we're going to realize we've missed it. This this whole purpose, this whole point of the season is to slow down, to remember, to pray, to fast, to receive all that Christ is. So as we go through these next couple weeks, the plea, the overarching plea, is just to slow down. Say no to things. It's okay. Uh, The last church we worked at, we had a secretary that would go to two Christmas parties a year. That was it. She got invited to any over. She was done. I've done my two. I'm done. Pretty awesome right? Slow down, say no to things so that we can study scripture and remember this. So um, just quickly, who has celebrated Advent growing up? The Advent is a normal thing for you to understand. Who hasn't? So you guys are the good Southern Baptists, right? So uh, just a real quick, the the word Advent just means coming or arrival. It's a Latin word meaning coming or arrival. And there's a bunch of different traditions around Advent. Um, J. Cole mentioned Christmas vacation. So one of the, the plot lines of Christmas vacation is them opening up the doors right? So that's one way that we can celebrate Christmas and celebrate Advent and the coming of Christ is that every day that we open doors and there's candy or scripture, uh, but that builds the anticipation and, and yep, expectation of what Christ is going to do for us. Um, so for a lot of people, they celebrate with something like that where every single day, maybe the kids get candy. And um, I know my wife is doing every day, there's a devotional that she's going through with the kids because we're homeschooling, we can do that. Um, maybe another way you've seen it celebrated is the wreath, right, with the five candles, um, hope, peace, joy, love, and then the center being Christ. We were going to have that set up and we're going to light it, but Parks and Rec said no fires in here. And uh, knowing this crowd, that's probably a good thing that it would have got knocked over and we would have got kicked out. So so what we're kind of doing is basing this on that, the four pillars of the Advent calendar with the wreath and, and going through it. Um, But here's just a quick quote just to kind of wrap up um, what Advent is. Regardless of the tradition, Advent is a significant time in the life of the church. It's an opportunity for believers to remember God's promise to send one who would overcome sin and death forever. God promised a Savior and he kept that promise perfectly. God promised a Savior and he kept that promise perfectly. Perfectly. So it's a time for us to to put our minds in what would it look like to have been an Israel who heard all these prophecies coming for there's a Messiah coming, there's one who will save the world, he's coming, he's coming. What does it look like for us to get in their shoes and to listen to that prophecy coming, but what you'll see this morning is even better than that. Um, God has placed us in the season for a purpose uh, as far as time goes, and I think uh, we'll come to appreciate that. So uh, Luke chapter 1, we're going to pick it up in verse 26. Even if you have zero church background, this is going to be a pretty familiar text for us as we dive into uh, the Christmas story this morning. Luke chapter 1, we're going to pick it up in verse 26. that an angel shows up, like doesn't matter what you say, we're going to be a little discerning of like, am I about to die right here? Verse 30, and he said, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Now, what we notice here, just kind of as we dive into this, the phrase will be, will, shall, shall be. Gabriel the angel keeps using these phrases over and over again. Will, will be, shall, shall be. Now, what does that matter here? Of course, all of it is going to come. Jesus is coming. The angel is prophesying, telling what's about to happen. But when we start looking at the idea of hope, we have to get our definition of hope from here. And what we see is that all hope is future and all hope is certain. So when we start talking about hope, it's, it's will, it will be, it shall, it shall be. It will come in the future and it comes from certainty. So, if we just want to, what is hope? Certainty of the future. What is biblical hope? Certainty. Of the future, and we see this when we put these lenses on. We start to see this all over the place, right? God's people have been hoping for the Savior. They had heard these prophecies coming. They've been hoping. They've been longing for the Savior to come, the one that would save them from their sins. That would save them from the world. That would reconcile them once again with God. And we see two quick passages: Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord will give give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. Isaiah 11 says this, almost the same thing. Isaiah also foretold that the Messiah, the one who would save God's people, uh, would be a relative of a man named Jesse, the father of King David. So if we could just put ourselves in the Israelites in the Old Testament for a moment, we're waiting for something to happen in the future. And based on the prophets, we're certain it's going to happen. So this advent, this coming of Jesus always comes with this season of waiting and expectation. And right now we're waiting, college students, we're waiting for that last final to happen. The rest of us, we're waiting for that, that 3.30 bell to hit where we can clock out for the rest of the year. We're waiting, we're, we're longing for this. But is our longing, is our waiting that true expectation of Christ's coming? Or is it something else? Have we truly put our hope in Jesus Christ and his coming? Or are we putting our hope in something else that will satisfy John Piper puts it this way, biblical hope is not a mere desire for something good to happen. It is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. Biblical hope has a moral certainty in it. When the word says hope in God, it does not mean cross your fingers. It means to use the words of William Carey, expect great things from God. So biblical hope, does not mean that there's uncertainty here. If we allow uncertainty to come into biblical hope, then what are we saying about the character and nature of God? That what he said might not come true, that that God could be a liar. Right? So biblical hope is futuristic, but it's also certain because God said it, therefore it will happen. And if we don't wrap our brains around that, then our hope gets really futile. It gets um, short. It gets not healthy because who is God then? If we can't put our hope in God, then what does that say about the God we worship? If we can't trust that what he said will happen, then what God are we worshiping here? Hope is a vision for better days ahead. But wouldn't you say that a hope for better days ahead would change the way we live today? That if we knew that in 10 years our life was going to look this way, would it change the way we live today? If I said in 10 years you're going to be a billionaire, do you think it changed the way you live right now? Yeah. If I said in 5 years you're going to be married and you're going to have a house full of kids, would it change the way you live right now? Some of you hate that illustration, I understand it. Right? We could just go down the line, if there's certainty in the future, would it change the way that we live right now? So as we talk about biblical hope, my prayer is it's going to change the way we live the rest of this month, the rest of this year, and the rest of our life. But we have to juxtapose, we have to combine this idea of biblical hope and this idea of worldly hope because those things are two totally different I mean, just all my cards on the table, maybe it's what made my weekend worse. I really hoped that UGA was going to win yesterday. Anyone else? Yeah, like really hoped. I told a couple people, the reason I have a, a split on my foot is because I kicked the TV. <laughs> Which is funny, but I realize there's a generational gap because most of the church doesn't realize when TVs used to sit in wood boxes on the ground. And so I could see some heads like, how would you reach above your fireplace? <laughs> Like, no, man, they used to sit, like, you had to get up and turn, like, generation gap, right? Like, I really hoped that that was going to take place, but I wasn't certain of it, right? Because Alabama did what Alabama always does. Alabama's football. I'm talking football right now. (laughs) Alabama did what Alabama always does, which is just relentlessly pursue until they win. It's what they do. But I hoped that things were going to look different See, we have a hard time I mean, our generation, if I can just be honest, and not just millennial, Gen X, baby boomers, and just this time we live right now has a hard time waiting. Do we not? We have a miserable time waiting. We want my age, wants what our parents have now. We all are just unhappy with, we just waiting. If, if we had to say, hey, would you want $100 now or a million dollars in 10 years? Almost every single one of us, if we're being honest with ourselves, would take the $100 now. We don't want to wait. So this hope that deals with the future, even though it might be certain, the future throws all of us off because what we're hoping for is today, tomorrow, maybe this weekend, but not much further than that. So when we start combining the idea of what is biblical hope, certainty of the future combined with what is earthly hope, there's no certain and we hate the future, we have to realize we have two totally different definitions of what hope is. So we celebrate the advent, the coming, the waiting of Christ, that one of the pillars of advent is hope. We can't just assume, I said the word hope, everyone agrees with what hope means. The hope is completely different for all of us. So the question is, where does hope come from? If we're going to rejoice, if we're going to celebrate in hope, where does hope come from? So flip with me now over to Romans 15. Romans chapter 15. I want us to read verse 4 to kind of get the idea of what we're doing and then skip down to verse 8. Verse 4, Romans 15, verse 4. For whatever is written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. So, what was written to us through the Scriptures will give us endurance and will give us hope. So, skip down to verse 8 for me. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it's written. And all of these are Old Testament prophecies mainly out of Isaiah. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And again, it said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all people extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. And even even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. Verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Let me read verse 13 one more time. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of hope the Holy Spirit may abound in hope. So this idea of hope that are we really hopeful? Are we confident in what God says about the future for you as individually, for us as a church, for us as the big C church across the world? Are we confident about the future? Is what Christ has said about the future. And so, where does this hope come from? I mean, if we're not, which I, I, I would argue, majority of us aren't, we're not very hopeful in Christ. Where does this come from? I think. Romans 15, 13 says it perfectly. It comes from God first and foremost. May the God of hope fill you with hope. Where does hope come from? Where does this certainty of the future come from? God. May the God of hope fill you with hope in believing. In believing. So how do we have hope we believe. How do we have hope? We believe. Now, just cards on the table, and I hope I don't ruin this for anybody. Santa Claus has hijinked this whole idea, right? I mean, let me just throw some movies out for you. What is the whole uh, plot line behind Elf? Why can't his sleigh fly? Because no one believes. Right? What is, what is Elf's, what did he learn at the North Pole that he tells at the end and makes the slave fly over New York? The greatest way to spread Christmas cheers, singing loud to all to hear. Sounds kind of like worship, right? (laughs) The greatest way to remember who God is, is to sing about God. I think that's the whole premise of Psalms. Okay, so let's keep going. What about Polar Express? What is the whole premise behind Polar Express? Belief. You wanna hear that bell ring. Now I'm not knocking these movies, I love these movies. That moment where like the sleigh comes up in New York when the newscaster stands there, I might have teared up the first time I watched that. All cards on the table, I love that scene. Polar Express, same way, I love that movie. Or, Or what about Santa Claus? We watched that one this weekend. Tim Taylor is just the greatest actor of all time. But the whole premise is belief, right? They're trying to, it's Tim Taylor, it's not Tim Allen. Tim Taylor. He's always Tim the tool man. Doesn't matter what he's in. Always Tim the tool man. Yes. Right. So anyways, fast forwarding, the whole premise of Santa Claus, especially the first one is what? Trying to get the mom and the stepdad to actually believe. And he gets the little Oscar Meyer wiener whistle and everything's great. It's all belief, but we don't somehow in our minds, we don't bring that back to the gospel. If we lack in hope, it's because we lack in belief. If we lack the certainty of the future, it's not a hope issue, it's a belief issue. What is it about God you don't believe? What is it about the future that you don't believe? It's not a hope issue, church, it's a belief issue. As we're walking into Christmas, do you believe? Do you believe that God is good, that his promises are true, that what he has prophesied, what he has said will actually come true? Do you believe it? Because if Romans 15 is right, the first step in hope is belief. But here's the weird thing about hope and belief in all of this, and maybe this will bring comfort to us. If if we're not careful, it leaks Right, so my first truck was a '92 Dodge Dakota. It had a three three eighteen motor in it. It was a little small body with a huge V eight motor. It was fantastic. Probably one of the worst decisions my parents made in their life was allow me to buy this truck. But thank you. It was awesome. I spent more donuts and burnout set tires in that truck than anything else. It's fantastic, but. The funny thing about that Dodge Dakota 318 V8 was it leaked oil everywhere. And I was friends with yuppies that were like, your car better not leak oil in my driveway. I'm like, listen, I'm 16. I just burn out the whole way here. I'll go park in your grass. So what I had to do was just always had to have oil with me in the toolbox. Cause whenever I would just check it, it's good to top it off. Anyone else like that? So as 16 year old amateur Gabe that were literally my high school went from the gym to the road, burnout the entire way. It was fantastic. The redneck king of that year because of that truck. But what I could have done was got underneath the motor and looked for that oil leak and fixed it. But most of us, when it comes to belief in Christ, we, th- we hope that coming here is going to fix the problem that getting involved in missional communities is going to fix the problem, that DNA, that all of that, if I just keep pouring stuff in, that's going to fix the problem, which that will help. Don't get me wrong. But you've got to get underneath the hood. You've got to get underneath the car. What is causing the leak of your hope, of your belief? Just pouring in is not going to fix it all. You've got to diagnose the problem. What is causing your heart not to believe? What's causing your heart not to believe? And this just isn't new for us. In one of the most gut-wrenching, honest psalms, Psalm 42, 5-6 says it this way. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you at turmoil within me? Hope in God. For shall I again praise him, my salvation and my God? My soul is downcast within me, therefore I remember you. So, there's this whole conversation going mentally. I know, believe in God, hope in God, trust in God, but my heart just isn't feeling it. So, he's literally wrestling with himself. I understand, put my hope in God, put my belief in God, but my heart just isn't there. So, church, let that be an encouragement. If that's us, that's okay. But we've got to get to the root of the unbelief. I believe. Help my unbelief. What is it that's causing this hope to leak? What is it that's causing us to put all of our joy, all of our satisfaction, all of our hope in things that we know are going to fail us? We know these things, this job, this career, this relationship, this degree, everything is going to fail us. But we keep running hard after it. For what? It's just going to keep leaking. What is the root of our unbelief? Now, I alluded to it earlier. Historically, we're in a beautiful time for this. Flip over with me. I know I said we wouldn't flip anymore, but sue me. John 14, this will be the last flip. We're in this beautiful season for us to have hope. Where are we not believing that's not filling our hope tank? I think John 14 will help us in the season that we're in. Theologians would call this era, this time that we're living, the already but not yet. That Christ has already came, he's already died, he's already been resurrected, but he hasn't yet taken us home to glory. So we're kind of in this middle ground. This is kind of idea came from when Jesus died on Friday, he was resurrected on Sunday. What did the disciples do on Saturday? We have a friend that wrote this book. I'd highly recommend you pick it up. It's called Saturday Nothing by a guy named Josh Martin. Uh, pick it up because what he's writing about is the season of waiting, of anticipation. So we're kind of, or not kind of, we are fully living in the season of already but not yet. Christ has already defeated death. He's already defeated Satan. All that has already taken place, but it hasn't yet been fulfilled. That we're still here. There's still sin. There's still death. There's still pain. So we're living in this already, but not yet. So if we put our, sh- our, our faith or put, our, um, put ourselves in the Israelite shoes, they didn't really have a ton to fall back on. All of their, all of their hope, all of their um, peace was in this present Messiah that was coming. But we get to live in this already, but not yet. So when we struggle with hope, it helps to look backwards so that then we can look forward. John 14, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. John 14, pick it up in verse one. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way that I'm going. So listen. What helps our belief, what helps put our hope in Jesus Christ is because he came and died and was resurrected. And because all that took place, we can take John 14 to heart. That he is coming back to get us, to rescue us, to save us, to redeem this world because that already happened. And I've had conversations over the years with atheists, agnostic, and all of this kind of idea. Uh, here, here's what, and only one has ever actually admitted this to me, that Jesus did not exist. There's just no way that Jesus existed. Even the most hard-hearted atheists have to do something with history. They have to do something with the fact that it's now B.C., before, Right? has to do something with that. There's enough historical evidence for Jesus that we have to do something with that. But for us, we as Christians, we put our faith in the fact that he died and he was resurrected for our sins. So if that happened, then how much more certain can we be in the future that he says he's going to come back and take us with him, that he's going to prepare a place for us that we have future certainty called hope. So here's where worldly hope and biblical hope start to differ. Worldly hope, we hope that that's gonna come true. Biblical hope, we know it's gonna come true, we just have to put our hope in it. Do we believe it? Is it something that is anchored in our hearts? So as we're in this Christmas season, just simply, where are you putting your hope? What are you trusting to satisfy you? Are you gonna wake up December 26th, 27th, 28th, and go, man, I just missed it, that I, I, my hope was in this or that. My parents did a phenomenal job growing up of, of understanding who I was, and I'm not saying this because they're in the room, uh, I'm not trying to like, suck up to my parents. They did an incredible job of knowing my heart, where I was, and buying me gifts to help me flourish as a human being. But we all know there's this little disappointment if we didn't get everything we wanted. And we're constantly walking around in life feeling that way, that we're not getting all that we wanted because we're putting our hope in futile things. Hebrews 6, 19 says this, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters in to the inner place behind the curtain. So my prayer for us this morning is that hope would be the anchor of our inner soul. That Because all of Christ has already done, we can have hope in the certainty of the future that he will come back, that there is a second advent, there is a second coming, and that should allow us, because of the certainty of the future, to change the way we live and worry and fret today. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to take communion and I'll just encourage you as if you're a believer to let that be the prayer. How does the hope, the certainty of future change the way that we live today? And how can I slow down through this Advent season to put my hope in that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your coming. We thank you for all that you've done and all that you will do for us. As you've you've rescued us by you sending your son on the cross, you redeemed us, you've made us new. And because that happened, we can put all of our hope in you. We can trust you and abide in you and love you because how much you first loved us. So would we wrestle this morning, God, with our hope? Where are we putting our hope? Where are we putting our trust? Where are we putting our faith? And this is in a try harder area. God, would you encourage us just to put our belief in you? To admit when we can't believe, we don't believe. Be honest and real with you in those moments. Because we know, as Ephesians 2 would tell us, that that the faith, the belief, comes from you first and foremost. Would you help us to grow in our belief, grow in our faith of you, so that our hope would no longer leak. But we would constantly be hopeful for the promises of the Savior. So church, as we sit in this moment, I will say amen in a moment and communion will be open, but where are we placing our hope? Where are we placing our trust? And if it's anywhere apart from Jesus Christ, let us repent and believe. It's your name we pray, amen.